0: Hello everybody, I'm Mark Travis, the freelance NBA writer and the founder of the new Crossover Zine, which you can find on Gumroad and Patreon.
1: And I'm Marco Romo.
0: And together we're making up the new Mark and Marco podcast, Uh, and this is our introductory episode. We wanted to get this out there, give you guys a little background information, as well as some uh, NBA talk about what's going on, about a quarter point of the season so far. But we also wanted to let you guys get to know us, the... Kind of reason we're starting the podcast: we're a couple of Hispanic NBA fans, and we notice there's not too much discourse in the Hispanic NBA fan space. There isn't really a hub for people like us who who get together and talk about the game. So we wanted to give a, a nice, uh, well, maybe a Mexican flavored podcast in the in in the NBA podcast world that can kind of stand out uh, with a lot of shows and options for you guys to listen to. Hopefully. Uh, this can become uh, one that's a regular in your rotation. Um, so in order to get you guys a chance to get to know us, we're going to go ahead and start off a little bit of our history with basketball on a personal level and our connection to the NBA. And uh, Marco, I know you have a, a pretty special connection to the game. So why don't you go ahead and give our uh, listeners a, a chance to get to know why basketball is special to you.
1: Uh, basketball, it's it's been a lot to me uh, as I, I grew up in Mexico for the first five years of my life. Uh, Moved over here to America. Pretty much grew up with the eyes of like an American kid, but with the background of a Mexican, you know, man or kid at that point. And it was the first sport I ever legitimately fell in love with. And it was always weird to me growing up that nobody else that looked like me or even in my family even looked at the sport like that. It was always, you're either a Cowboys fan, It's yeah, especially where I'm from. That's, that's all. You're either a Cowboys fan or a Lakers fan. But even then, there was, like, no Lakers Hispanic fans around me or Spurs Hispanic fans. I lived in a... I grew up in a very small, small town of about 1,800 people, if that. And uh, basketball was really the only thing that I felt I people that look like me. Like, I was the only one that loved it as much as I did. And it was hard for me to connect with people like that. But eventually I found a hub, and, which was, would be online. It would, it would take a while, but I got there eventually. But as soon as I found that, I was like, oh, there's, there's people like me that, you know, are into this sport as much as I am. So, you know, mm. finally finding that hub, was like very special to me. Make, made a lot of friends Do that. And, you know, it's really helped me. Out. As well as gaining experience going out of my comfort zone.
0: Really interesting. And, and, and you talk about being uh, in, in a place where it's a lot of cowboy fans, a lot of classic, I, I guess you could say bandwagons. Uh, bandwagon teams of people. That was always that drawn too.
1: the weirdest part. a few years after I started getting after like junior high but nobody I was always the Dwayne Wade fan or the Heath fan I was always like no Dwayne's like the guy you know not LeBron and I you know I appreciate I I LeBron but like I was always the Dwayne Wade guy at school I had this poster people always be like why do you like Dwayne why don't you like LeBron I was like, he's just the guy I latched onto. Was I just chose him because as a kid, of a of a, of a heavy heavy that's first mm-hmm. you know love. He never passed that on to me. My parents were they just let me choose whatever because they were. My dad was into soccer. He was like he didn't care about any other sport, so he didn't force me to root for whoever he wanted. So I was—it was pretty except for football. My mom and dad would not let me be a fan of any other team, and I hate them for it because I'm miserable. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I haven't won a, anything since I yeah, was. That's some
0: CPS level. Uh, we got to file a complaint. Somebody a Cowboys fan. That's that's pretty. The emotional distress that that puts someone 95. through is pretty bad. The last
1: year they were relevant. <laughs> Literally, but yeah, that was like I—I I just chose the Heat. They were on TV. I was like maybe 9 years old I want to say. I was like, oh yeah, I like I they'll be my team forever. It just <laughs> kind of happened.
0: So you lucked out, uh, you I guess you'd be pretty clear about that. you looked at you looked into uh one of the better dynasties of, of recent history but uh with a genuine origin story, not 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 a bandwagon uh fan. So that's good to hear. Uh as far as my background with the sport, um not very uh, athletic. So I'm not very athletic. So I can tell you that you know I stopped playing around sixth grade. I started playing for anyone who knows what upward basketball is. That'll be a treat to your ears after I don't know maybe two decades of having played it. The old uh, kind of church style league where they would match you up with a, a kid your size and put the same color wristband on you, and you can only guard them uh that that level of basketball that's where i started around 5 I was actually pretty good at basketball but uh, yeah flamed out around maybe 5th or 6th grade um just you know being from corpus christi is it's a pretty big town for how remarkably unathletic it is i mean if you look at the athletes in quotation marks that this city has produced you're talking about like bobby and terry labani NASCAR drivers are like at the top of the list so for for being a big city so to speak you know 300,000 or so population very unathletic place and unfortunately I did not break the mold uh, and become uh, the first NBA player uh, to emerge from Corpus (laughs) Christi I mean we have it. we have uh, the
1: biggest athlete y'all got was Selena because she was up there dancing
0: yeah Uh, We we even have a division one college here at Texas A&M Corpus Christi Uh, and you know it's what is it the Southland Conference so so not something anybody would hear would have heard of and even that like if we had a guy on that team that could dunk regularly that was like a massive thing in the city. Uh, I think we had one guy I'm trying to remember I think his name was Kevin Palmer who made it to the wizard summer league team. And that was a big deal. That was like seven or eight years ago. And since we've had maybe one or two other guys from that university, and these guys aren't from Corpus, you know, we have, we have like a coach who's from Baltimore, the Maryland area or something. So he's got some recruits that come from there uh, who are decently athletic and, and pretty good players. So they'll end up making like a summer league appearance or two. Uh, and and that's like the lead story on the, on the local sports channel. So um, and that's got, you know, they have no roots here or anything like that. So, you know, like I said, we're still waiting for our first basketball prospect to break in uh, from down here in Corpus. Mainly, uh, I think if anybody is going to come out of here, it's going to be baseball. So I think mainly a baseball talent town, if we're going to call it anything related to sports. But I think like Marco said, uh, this is going to take a lot, a lot of success for somebody to displace Selena as the, uh, the national hometown hero. Uh which is funny if anybody have you seen any of that uh, netflix show i've seen like a lot of people talking about how the cinematographers or whoever's filming that has uh, presented disservice to south texas pretty heavily uh as far as what they think it looks like in all the pictures. have you seen any of that
1: i've only the only thing i've seen from that was how bad the
0: wigs are yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not getting the best reviews uh but anyway enough about selena of all things yeah enough about (laughs) selena uh Marco told you he's a Heat fan. I can tell you a little bit about me. Um, kind of the opposite of Marco. He said he was given the freedom to choose his favorite team. Uh, I grew up a lot, a lot of Spurs fans, um, heavy Spurs fans. So I, all I can remember is being in the living room at my uncle's house uh, and him rooting for the Spurs in a close game against the Lakers and me just going the other way. Total contrarian, uh, kind of flipping the switch right then. Because, you know, I... It, it Back in my house We had one, uh, one TV in the living room One TV in the bedroom that I slept in And uh, You know The Spurs are the only NBA team that you could watch Regularly because they were on the f- local Fox Sports channel So there's no reason for me uh, to not like them So to speak, I watched them regularly I kind of like some of their players But that day I kind of flipped the script um, And started rooting for the Lakers So I grew up from maybe age 10 on um rooting for the Lakers. So totally disappointed uh, and threw it in the face of everyone in my family who was Spurs fans. So that went on until about uh, 2000, probably 13, kind of coinciding with the downside of uh, Kobe Bryant's career, rest in peace, uh, to where he was kind of fading out of the picture. And then I was starting to cover games as a member of the media. And because i'm closest to corpus christi i'm sorry closest to san antonio being in corpus christi uh, the team i was covering for my local newspaper was the spurs so in a kind of an odd flip again i went back to kind of not rooting for the spurs but in a professional sense you are rooting for them to go further because you get to go to more games cover more games so that's good you want them to succeed in that sense but also just kind of gaining your respect for the organization being that up close and personal with their guys uh you know that organization famously tight lipped, so you're not like getting chummy with Tony Parker, Tim Duncan Mon, or that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, especially not at my age when I was like 20, wasn't going to feel that kind of tight in a, in a media relationship with those guys. Of course, they're not like that with really anybody. Um, but uh, so that wasn't really the feeling, but it was more just seeing them do their job come in uh, and, and the professional aspect of it. Uh, you kind of gained a respect for how. They had been doing it for so long, and uh, I got to latch on to their last two finals runs against Miami. So I got to go see your team uh, and the Spurs playing a couple finals, which was uh, and probably will always be a career highlight to see uh, LeBron James uh, win a championship, and then the Spurs uh, return the favor in the next year. So, uh, two of the best uh, played finals of all
1: absolutely, time. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, those, those were immaculate uh, as far as the the quality of basketball. Um, you know, because of Boris Dio yeah. I mean, (laughs) you you think back and just kind of what kind of stylistic impact Boris had on that series. And and I still remember being in the building 2014, game five, third quarter. Uh, Boris, I think he gets Dwayne Wade in a post mismatch and spots Patty Mills, uh, for three. And I believe that kicks off like a nine-0 run of three-pointers that kind of put that. Title to rest, and that's probably for being in the building for Ray Allen shot in game six of 13, LeBron's shot in game seven of 14, and then and that Avalon LeBron. Okay, that was game, game was one that, because they that, lost that, it. That was and game they won, one, game right? Two. Right, and then game three and four, I remember they were not close, right? Those were pretty hefty blowouts in Miami, yeah. Um, uh,
1: but the Spurs, they just they 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 execute everything perfectly yeah. still. Yeah, it was just... It hurt what, to watch, what, but it was, it was good to see.
0: That. Right, it wasn't a, a total collapse on Miami's part. That was a lot of the Spurs putting them into submission uh, t- to get to that point. But, uh, yeah, that's just a little bit of uh, my history. Uh, like I said, probably the last time I was a, a real fan, got emotional about games uh, from a fan perspective was the 2010 uh, Lakers title team, I think. Put a hole in one of my my doors back then uh, when I was an an, an emotional chap uh, uh, as regards to one of the results of the Laker game. Not anywhere near that uh, anymore. Uh, you know, kind of being in the media can tame a little bit the way that you connect to a team in that regard. So uh, it does take the fan amount of it just a tad, but it gives you a little more perspective on the analytical side of things. So it is a little bit of a trade off. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's a little bit of, you know, who we've rooted for and how we got into the sport. Uh, and now we're going to give you a little bit of insight into how we think about the game. And And the first thing I wanted to ask uh, when I prepared uh, some questions for Marco and I'd answer was uh, to get a question out there that might make you think we have no clue what we're talking about, right? I wanted to <laughs> to see if we I never have had, any clue <laughs> to see if I could get some outlandish opinions uh so you could see kind of uh, when we're not having the most sensical uh discussion what what we're capable of as far as our NBA takes um and the first thing I want to ask was kind of what Hall of Fame level player Marco who people hold in decent high regard do you think is just massively overrated uh somebody from like the past 10 20 years who um Every time you hear a mention, you kind of roll your eyes. Like, they'll they'll say something like, oh, yeah, Hall of Famer, uh, great player, class actor. And you're just kind of like, yeah, he wasn't that good.
1: Paul Pierce, I'm sorry. It's oh my god, I should
0: have. You know what? I should have told. I should have told Mark. I told him uh, some other things so we didn't have overlap. And and he comes out of the gate. It takes this. You know what? Go ahead and talk. I'm gonna have to think on another guy.
1: No, 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 no. I have two. <laughs> I have two answers. Okay. You're probably gonna say Paul Pierce, but I just want to get the joke off <laughs> because it's always Paul Pierce sucks. Paul. It's it's always that. Especially <laughs> in Miami, we did that. He wasn't even playing. That was awesome. I love P fans for that forever. My other answer, which is a little more controversial probably, is Grant Hill, and I don't know if this is a product of me being too young to remember his prime, and, or remember when he played at Duke because I was like I don't even know if I was born yet. But it's I look at his stats and there was like um, I remember when I was first getting into basketball, he was like on the Magic, and you know he he was like his his career was pretty much. It, it seemed dead before, you know, it was revived again, Phoenix. Right. Uh, but up to that point, only, he'd only been, like, a legit superstar for such a constricted amount of time. But even then, I'm like, yeah, he's that, he was that good at whenever I finally started getting into basketball more. I was like, oh, yeah, he was really, really good. He was like LeBron, pretty much. Or he was like what Jason Tatum is right now for, like, a four- to five-year stretch. And I understand that the Hall of Fame is like also like a college thing, but right, I'm like, eh, I like I probably Sean Marion's not in, and he is, and I'm like, I uh, I get it. He it's more it's like a whole thing. He also had the Olympics thing, but I'm like I don't know. I I I get how great he was at the short amount of time he was healthy, and. He was actually one of my favorite role players when he was in Phoenix. I'll get to that later, uh, but yeah, I'm just I've always found it to be a bit overrated. Like if I want a guy whose career was cut short due to injuries and played on the Magic, I'm always going to go with T-Mac. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and the kind of the difference in in the picks there between Pierce and Grant Hill is I don't feel like there's a lot of animus behind what you're saying as far as uh, Grant Hill being overrated. It's more of a, an analytical take uh, about kind of the short peak he had. Uh, whereas Paul Pierce, you know, you can look sure. at the, the numbers and that kind of thing, but a lot of I think the reason you might derive him for for to to pick in this kind of category of being overrated is just. What he, what he says now in his post-career, it, it kind of just further taints what is what is kind of not the most impressive resume once you look back at it. I don't know if that's the same for you. I mean, Paul Pierce's turn as, as a post-career analyst has, has got to play a part in, in, in wanting to put him in this category.
1: One of my favorite comparisons is people say he's just taller than Joe Johnson with the ring.
0: <laughs> it's Joe Johnson. that Wait, wait. I was gonna say it was Joe Johnson who got a chance to play with Kevin Garnett, but I guess that would still be true because Joe Johnson only got a chance to play with Kevin Garnett's corpse uh, in yeah, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. They, right? So if, if Joe Johnson had prime KG or or just at the end of his prime KG, like Paul Pierce had in Boston, uh, you could make the case he might have uh, might have had a ring on his finger too. Yeah, I mean, he's just. Wing scorer from that era, you know they're they're not a dime a dozen, but pretty frequently scoring twenty points a game. A lot of guys doing that uh, in in kind of inefficient ways. Uh, and you know, as somebody who was a Laker fan in the two thousand eight uh, season, that kind of stings a little bit to where you're wanting to put them down for that debacle of of, of a wheelchair accident uh, taking place. Uh, In in a final series in which he won finals MVP Uh, So you kind of want to put a negative taint on on what was a championship team But yeah, just when you look back at him, there's nothing that Sticks out as exceptional He had some really good postseason battles with LeBron where he put up big numbers I guess that would probably be his best statistical stretches Were were in those series against Cleveland But I don't know, I I, I look back and then kind of the things he says Where he's saying, you know so and so player reminds me of me, or he's not quite at the level I was. That kind of thing, you know. We're hearing a lot of that from players nowadays, from uh, from retired players who are analysts. But um, you know, Shaq can kind of say what he wants after the player he was, even though it sounds stupid. Uh, but Paul Pierce saying that kind of thing, uh, you know, you can't let him get away with, with, with saying some of the stuff he is. We
1: need more Allen Iversons.
0: Yes, yes, who are, who are propping up uh, the young fellows in today's game. Definitely, Kobe was like that. Yeah,
1: before, you know, he passed away. He was always propping up the young guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. Which
1: is so weird for a guy who was considered so cutthroat, but you appreciate right. it anyway. And so was alan Iverson. He was like a gym rat, and he right. like he still appreciates all these guys. <laughs> Which is funny considering how Shaq was notoriously, you know, not a gym rat. Right.
0: Right. And then for him to kind of and then for him to be so now demanding of, of the next generation. Of guys. Be, who, yeah. Turn. Right. Um, okay. So now in a more positive. Now you've heard us uh, attack Paul Pierce. Sorry, Boston fans who will probably never download an episode again, knowing you're listening to a Heat fan and a former Laker fan who uh, believe Paul Pierce was a scrub.
1: Uh, you heard it. They probably stopped listening after Heat fan.
0: Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh, so on a more uh, positive note, uh, let's prop up a fan base who maybe has uh, a player in mind that isn't as respected as they should be uh, from the post-2000s kind of era. Who do you, who do you have in that, uh, that space who you feel doesn't get enough love?
1: Uh, I have a whole list of them. So okay. uh, I have some honorable mentions here. Uh, shout out to Kenyon Martin. Ah, okay. He had the craziest dunks. The best lobs shout out to Jason Kidd, always getting him those lobs. And,
0: and by the way, Kenyon Martin Jr. in the league
1: that still weirds me out. Yeah, what is he born in like 2002 now? I Goodness. think, uh, when his dad was like in the finals. Uh, but yeah, I've always been a fan of Kenyon Martin. Shout out to Brandon Roy, he was one of my favorite players mm, growing up. Yes, uh, he was pretty much like the Luca of his time before you know. Injuries got the best of him, which I hated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shout-out to Brian Grant, the rebounding god. Part of the, one of the funnest Heat teams ever. He was, like, one of, the, one of my favorite guys to watch. You know, just go after rebounds like crazy. Uh, Shout-out to Andre Miller. Uh, I don't know. I just love watching him throw a lot. He was the best lob throw I've ever seen. Like, he would get them Perfectly. Like, he throw the half-court lobs like it was nothing. Like, the only guy that was better than him at throwing lobs that played at, that's, at the same time was LeBron and Dwayne. Dwayne Wade. So, yeah, shout-out to Anjan Miller. Always been one of my favorites. But the the real one, which I think is probably going to be pretty um, generic for a guy like me, especially if the kind of, like, place I'm at is Chris Bosh. He's, like, my final answer there. Okay. He he's He pretty much became... Well, early in his career, people didn't even appreciate whenever he was, like, this guy putting up, like, 25 and 11 every year. And then he, he like, revolutionized. He helped in revolutionizing the small ball game pretty much with Eric Spolster putting him at the five, and he started shooting threes. Like, he helped this positionless era we're in now where guys can play wherever they want. You know, guys like Dirk also did that. But the way that Chris Bosh did it was, like, also on the defensive end, where he's, like, he's guarding pick-and-rolls so well. He, he's one of the best pick-and-roll defenders I've, I've ever seen. He could, like, force a trap, or, like, he could play in drop coverage and not give up too much space where a guy was, like, getting to the rim so easily. But when they were, he was also really good at blocking shots. Uh, and one of my favorite... Like the perfect encapsulation of that is how in the finals he comes up with some of the biggest defensive plays that nobody remembers. There's uh, the one block against Tony Parker where he's like, he has him one on one, and Tony's like, oh, I got him. He's going to hit a step back. He blocks it. I feel like nobody remembers that block. Mm -hmm. It was in overtime, I think, of that, or like at the end of the fourth of game six, and he just. Blocks in and then I'm like, holy crap! How did he even get there? I think that's actually game seven. But anyway, yeah, that play and then also the block on Danny Green that Danny, gets forced. Danny that's Green forced, block yeah,
0: overtime,
1: yeah. Yeah, that gets like overlooked because of the Ray Allen shot, right? And I'm like, wow, this. Of course, it gets overshadowed by one of the biggest shots of all time because that's the kind of guy that Chris Bosh was, right?
0: Because
1: like a shot like that, yeah. He, but he didn't care though. He was a guy that. um basketball wasn't like his thing thing like kobe bryant or like like he was he loved basketball and you know when he got injured or when he had the illness he like hated that he got taken away from him but while he was playing you know he wasn't a, a guy like built like that uh, right. but but still i appreciated anytime he was out there and if he was if he never got uh the blood clots he would still be in the league today, like doing pick and pops, probably cementing his Hall of Fame case even more. And it's insane to me how he didn't make the Hall of Fame last year in his class. That hmm. was just insane to me. But he's definitely gonna make it in this next class, which uh, funny enough includes Paul Pierce. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if he was still he'd still be playing today if he didn't have the black clots. His game is perfectly suited for aging, like
0: for today, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing is about Bosch, and people don't probably don't remember that those first couple of years of the Heatles um, wasn't a five out. It, w- it wasn't such a cuspus. There was uh, – uh, what was it, Greg Oden? There was some Eddie – was it Eddie Curry? There, there, was, there were a lot of centers rotated and thrown in there. It wasn't a five-out system. At that point, Bosch was still playing power four It took
1: uh, until the next year against, I want to say – it was whenever he got hurt, actually, and he had to come back against Boston. Uh, and he came back and oh, – was it Boston? Yeah, and he hit like a bunch of threes. It was like game seven. Mm -hmm. and he he came back, and they were like, okay, we're going to put you at the five with, like, Shane Battier. And at at that point, he was playing still kind of four-ish with, you know, with Udonis Haslam. They were kind of like the four-five group. Uh But then Coach Spolz was like, okay, you're going to play the five, and we're going to, like, change up so much of our offense and do this, and you're going to play some of the best defense you've ever played in your career.
0: I'm totally on board with Bosch. Yeah, I think classic, underappreciated guy, uh, but you know, probably doesn't get as many people caping up for him because he's he's like you've mentioned, he's, he's not the kind of personality to take that big of an issue with it. He just kind of he's living his life. He's living his best life. I'm sure he's still got a mansion over there in South Beach. Uh, he's making music. Yeah.
1: He's making music now.
0: Making music. Okay. He's
1: always been a big music fan.
0: Chris Bosch, DJ Chris, uh, is is.
1: No, he's like a legit like musician. Oh, I'm sorry. He uh, produces uh, and stuff.
0: My my apologies, Chris.
1: Not not the DJs though. Shout out to DJs. Shout out to <laughs> Def Punk. Uh, I
0: love
1: Def Punk. But you know, he's like he's like actual producer. I think he produced the song for Gucci Man. Wow. Yeah. He's yeah. You, so you I'm to glad he's having us. fun. Yeah, good good for Chris About Bosch. the Chris, the Chris Gucci Bosch. Man stuff. Yeah, I just know he produced this song.
0: Yeah. Well, good for Chris Bosch, one of the more likable guys. Uh and, re- and like you said, tragically cut short his career And you perfectly stated For this era right now Chris Bosh would be an excellent big For any team that's trying to play The modern style of basketball um, and, and it's it's fun to kind of think about If you put 27-year-old Chris Bosh On a team right now I mean, just kind of what he would be capable of And, and I don't know there's, there's a lot of what-ifs with Chris Bosh as, as far as that Because his game is so suited for, for the era we're in now um, and I'm gonna kind of go a similar timeline as you, uh, and go with Mono Ginobili as my historically underrated guy. And I know you're both. Everyone's probably thinking, yeah, the, the two guys who said, you know, one covers the Spurs, the other one's a Heat fan, and picked Heat and Spurs for uh, <laughs> players for being historically underrated. But um, I just think Ginobili being around and being around the team. Uh, people who cover him uh who covered him is just somebody who sacrificed a lot and, and it's no secret this is you know well known across basketball any anybody who's been watching the past decade or so but to to just know that he sacrificed so much of his reputation to come off the bench uh, I, I mean it's not like people look down on him for that but just to to think of what he might have been thought of or, or what he might have been capable of, if you just dropped him into his own team. And I think, you know, there was a lot of a lot of people on Spurs Twitter um, who during James Harden's, you know, first couple of years of that Houston run would argue that if you put Manu in his shoes and gave him, you know, 100 possessions a game to dictate everything that happens, uh, that, you know, it, it might not have the same ludicrous numbers, but it sure as heck be a lot of fun. Uh, and And, you know, I, I think about that all the time just – you know he's not the Manu's not the kind of guy who would want to dominate the ball, much as Harden did. But if you get, he's got the kind of efficient game that's you know he's excellent driving the ball, good shooter, amazing, just artistic playmaker. That if you put him put the ball in his hands that many times, that you know you kind of just don't know what he would have been capable of in, in in an era where there are a hundred possessions a game, uh, and and you gave him total control. And you think about what he was able to show despite having, you know, Greg Popovich, who's probably the greatest coach of all time, in my opinion, uh, you know, kind of reining him in at certain aspects of his career just to provide some structure because that's, you know, how the Spurs have been successful, having a structure. But if you had given Manu the opportunity to just dictate everything in kind of a a blank slate the way D'Antoni did for for Harden when he got there, I don't know. I think sky could have been the limit. Uh, for, for Ginobili, and i think people don't really think of him in those terms um i'm sure you'll you'll get a few f- uh casual fans that'll think of him as maybe a little better than tony parker but generally i think he falls third on the the list of people uh list of Spurs who who were the most impactful behind duncan and parker where i think he was probably closer to being a steady two uh for, for most of his career the parker had a couple of MVP level seasons in the middle there. But I think over time, I think Ginobili was probably the more impactful player. And and definitely if he had his own situation, if you put him in an alternate universe, I think he would have been uh, capable of pretty crazy things. What do you think, Marco? You obviously uh, watched him uh, probably (laughs) not his greatest moments in those two finals. But uh, overall, having seen Ginobili uh, over the course of his career, do you think he would have uh, maybe raised the ceiling on his game a little bit?
1: I always loved Ginobili for those turnovers in Game Six. <laughs> uh,
0: exactly, exactly. Not what I wanted him to point out, but uh, definitely a stain uh, on the Ginobili resume was was that 2013 uh, Finals. But uh, yeah,
1: but I remember him uh, when I first started watching basketball. He had this like long, flowing hair. Uh, yeah, I think it was one of the first Finals I actually saw. I remember seeing as a Detroit kid, probably. The, yeah, the, the yeah. Detroit Spurs Finals. Uh, Detroit Spurs, uh, the Detroit and San Antonio finals, right, right. and he was like, "I was like, wow, this this dude is like gliding pretty much out there on the court, yeah, He's yeah. like manipulating the defense like crazy." And I'm like, "Who who is this guy?" And apparently, is like Argentine Argentinian dude who is like this next like big thing, but he never became that next big big thing because right. he just didn't want to. You know, right. but you'd see that in like the Olympics where he would like pretty much take over, and like he carried them to that 2004 uh, gold medal. And I, I do wonder he probably would have been like what uh, taking it back to Brandon and Roy, they had similar games. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he would have been like that, like that's, but for a longer amount of time. But he just didn't. He he never wanted to, which. Was very admirable and similar to what Chris Bosch did. Like they both sacrificed yeah. so much of their like own numbers for the yeah. greater good of the team. And yeah, he's always been one of my favorites to watch, and I always love to- Manu. He's like awesome.
0: Yeah. So uh, those are our kind of. Highs and lows of, of the t- post-2000s eras of guys we, we love And maybe not so much uh, on the Paul Pierce side of things uh, So uh, we're going to get to now, instead of individual players What, what teams we've kind of uh, fallen in love with over the past couple of decades uh, And obviously being a Heat fan, you've had some championship teams to watch But outside of the Miami teams, uh, what is your, your favorite championship team uh, in recent history?
1: Uh, I got this. Is uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if it makes me a bandwagoner. Well, I, I'm not because they're not my favorite team. But the 2015 Warriors mm. were like a young version of the Spurs and also a version that hadn't beat my team. Uh, <laughs> so I latched onto them crazy. Like, I was a Steph fan as soon as he came in the league. And that 2013 season, where it was like his breakout year. Where he pushed the spurs to like six games, mm-hmm. pretty much by himself, almost right but the to the chagrin of Mark Jackson's coaching yeah. uh but I will give credit to Mark Jackson for elevators. Elevators will always be one of my favorite plays of all time. Yeah, but yeah, it's the 2015 Warriors uh there was just a mix of like veterans and young dudes rising, like Stephen Clay. And Draymond finally, you know, being unleashed from the shackles of Mark Jackson again. That's a lot right. Mark Jackson slander. Man <laughs> down, man down. Uh, guys like Sean <laughs> Livingston, who they just... I remember when they signed him, I was like, oh my god, they got the perfect backup point guard. Because he was so good in Brooklyn, like people barely noticed how good he was. And like they just signed him for like a steal of a contract. And Barbosa, who I loved since Phoenix... Is like the Brazilian blur. Shout out to Brazilian blur. I've always... He's always been one of my favorite guys from those teams. And I was like, oh, I want him to get a ring so bad. And I was like all in on them from that. And then they got Andre Iguodala. Controversially, am my dad? Uh, from the Nuggets. Uh, you know, they traded Stank. for him. And I was like, oh, this team is like... They're like built for something. Like, people didn't think they were, like, going to be there before the season started. Everybody was, like, predicting all these other teams to make it there. But they had this insane, like, net rating and defensive rating and, like, everything was clicking. Nobody expected Steph to be MVP, top five, top three in the league. And he pretty much did what we've never seen before. And he continued to do it for a couple more years where he was, like, breaking records every other night. It was, like, so fun to, like, root for them. Like, but if only the finals had been, like, everybody was healthy, it would have been more fun. But right. it was. I just loved the way they played, especially uh, once they got rid of the David Lee minutes. Uh, I was a big fan. No no offense to David Lee, who I still think looks like Ben Affleck. But, yeah, <laughs> no offense to him. Or uh, the only blemish on them was uh, a lot of Maurice Spates. Oh well, come yeah, on. Now. Never
0: want well, we don't want, want shot, we don't want to take Spates. shots of most spades. Come on now. It was a perfect have, amount have, of more space.
1: <laughs> but there was just a little too much sometimes, especially the next year. Oh man. But yeah, a little too much. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely the twenty fifteen Warriors kind of one of the most just pure teams. In recent memory, definitely the most pure of the the Warriors dynasty. Just absolutely no expectations of of a championship coming into the season and to see them ascend and and play such a a charismatic style. Um, And and you have the return of Oracle Arena and and you have them rocking. and and, It was just a great atmosphere and environment all around for that team. Um, And, you know, it's it's really hard to hate that team, even after – they they add Kevin Durant uh, and and that kind of puts the Warriors dynasty in a different space for a lot of people. They they think of it a lot differently. This team is is just you got to put an, an incubator away from that. It's 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 off on its own and it's one of the most enjoyable experiences of of the past uh, decade uh, of, of the NBA. So I definitely agree with you on them uh, just being really fun championship team in recent memory. Um, And kind of a similar ilk of of just not being expected to get there. I'm going to go with a a team that that beat your Miami Heat, uh, and that's the Dirk Nowitzki 2011 Dallas Mavericks. Um, Just kind of nowhere to be seen in in the preseason expectations of of winning a championship. Um, They go through the Lakers, and that was probably the last time Kobe and the Lakers were ever expected to win a title. They pushed them aside. Easily, um, Andrew Bynum hey yeah. Andrew Bynum g- gets uh knocks JJ Beret out of the sky, I believe, on like the last quarter of the, of the series, works. yeah. Unbelievable. Um, and then they play this awesome series against the Trailblazers that has uh, we've talked about them a lot. Brandon Roy, that epic comeback. Brandon Roy left. Had. yeah. So uh, that was a great series. And, and then they just they end up in the finals because Dirk goes ballistic against a Thunder team that everyone is expecting to take the next step into the t- and to have this two dynasties kind of competing against each other with Oklahoma City and Miami. It, it looked like it was going to happen almost right away, but Dirk says, uh uh-uh. uh and tells the Young Thunder to, to sit it out for a year uh, with just an incredible series of things he was doing to Serge Ibaka and Kendrick Perkins. Nick Collison was catching oh. uh, catching heat as well. Oh. Uh, that That's... was an incredible series. Uh, and then we get to the finals, and it looks like the Heat are going to fulfill their they destiny. They got there
1: without Karam Butler, by the right, way. Right, right. Yeah, Which yeah, yeah. still insane to me.
0: Yeah, definitely a key player for them that, that wasn't involved. There was a lot of Peja. A lot of Paiza taking those minutes, which was uh, always a fun champion uh, to, to have at the end of the bench there. That was a nice sneaky ring for Paiza on this team, but but it looked like right away that the Heat were going to fulfill their destiny, start winning titles. But uh, Marco, you'll know better than I. It's the the it's three that it's the three that hits that's hit in front of the Mavs bench. Is it LeBron who hits the three or way to? I think three? it was
1: Mike Bibby. It
0: was like Bibby, it. Bibby. It Bibby hits a three uh, in front of them. Oh Ma- God! <laughs> uh, and and that spurs uh, what ends up being just incredible turnaround uh, for the Mavs who who go home, uh, take a couple, and then go back to Miami uh, with a chance to win it, and they do it in Game Six. Uh, we have Derek's classic moment where he jumps over the bench and heads to the locker room alone before the championship celebration to have his moment. Uh, just. You know for anybody who loves basketball dirk is is has never wronged anyone really he's just kind of been a, a standout uh stand-up person so when you see somebody like that win a championship after grinding especially with one organization uh, you know even for you it, it's kind of hard to deny somebody that awesome of a moment uh to to win a championship like that and just kind of a oddball team you got jason Kidd at the end of his career jason terry's taking and making all these big shots uh, that he seems like he was born to make in this series uh, with some crazy crunch time stuff and then you have a bunch of oddballs uh, sean marion in a new in a in another role is kind of just three and d guy they throw on lebron deshaun stevenson who's talking all kinds of crap to lebron uh, then you have mm-hmm. Berea, Tyson Chandler, Brendan Haywood was involved, just a bunch of of, of oddball players there uh, to fill up the roster to to compete for a championship. And you know, if you compare those names to to LeBron, Wade, Bosch, a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't have seen them win the championship course, it's not like the Heat had a, a stacked roster behind those guys. Uh, was Mike that baby? Yeah was was there was that the uh, the Marcus uh, was there's was was Arroyo Carlos Arroyo was that it who there was an yeah, Arroyo He involved?
1: got cut in the middle of the year. I remember. <laughs> so it uh, wasn't how
0: the mo- was. Wasn't the the most stacked Heat roster, despite the, the kind of heatles uh, appearance at the top, but uh, it still was an incredibly impressive championship for the Mavericks uh, and, and a really fun team who, who Rick Carlisle had them playing a, a pretty fun style and was able to incorporate ball movement with Dirk uh, taking over games one-on-one uh, at the, at the end of the, at the end of the game. So that was a really fun team, played a fun style. Tyson Chandler posed some problems for LeBron at the rim. Um, so they had some tr- strategic elements that stuck out, but Mostly it was just about Dirk Nowitzki getting, his, uh, getting the monkey off his back and getting a championship. So uh, I'll go with them as my uh, favorite champion in, in recent history.
1: All right. Let me get my hot take off real quick about this. Okay. Go on. Dwayne Wade outplayed Dirk in that finals. That's mm. it. Shout out to me. Shout out to Jack Alfonso on Twitter. Me wow. and him agree on this. Okay. And people don't talk about it. That's all I got to say. Okay. Look up the numbers. Wow. I, do. That, still, that is, I, I love Dirk. That I love is Dirk. a
0: spicy take. That is a spicy I day. love
1: Dirk, though. It's not as spicy as you think when you look at mm, those numbers. Okay. If he hadn't gotten pretty much broken by Brian Cardinal.
0: <laughs> the janitor, Brian Cardinal. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: Your dad's, your dad's best friend, Brian Cardinal.
0: <laughs> okay. We'll I'll have to look into that one. That, that, to me That took me by surprise. Okay, uh, moving on to a non-championship team that we really loved in recent history. Uh, I have a feeling we might be in agreement on this one, so I'll let you go first, Marco. Because of something you said earlier about Grant Hill, uh, tell me: is your favorite? Oh, we are on the same page. Is your favorite non-champion uh, the Phoenix Suns of the Steve Nash variety?
1: Yes, the 2009-2010 one
0: specifically. Ah, okay.
1: There was something about that damn team. I loved so much. <laughs> Especially because my team got eliminated and very early because Dwayne was playing with a bunch of uh, nobodies. The corpse of Jermaine O'Neal playing <laughs> basketball will always haunt me. So I gravitated towards the, the sons of that year. It oh, was so fun. It was the last, the last real Nash run of just mm-hmm. him being the guy. And before, you know, oldness got to him and, you know, shout out to Steve Nash. Uh, but even when his old age, he was still pretty good up until he went to the Lakers, very weirdly enough. Yeah, yeah. it was the last they had Jason Richardson, who was always one of my favorite role players. He kind of revitalized his career there. And then as soon as he left, he was, you know, washed. Uh he was, like, the perfect, like, 3-and-D dude. Like, it was awesome. He had his best three-point shooting year as well. You know, you have that kind of thing playing with Steve Nash. He had a young Gorn Dragic coming out the bench.
0: You know, I, I remember uh, in that series against party. the Lakers, him and, uh, him and Sasha Vujicic had some, some kind of blood. Yeah, there we go. That, that was a nice subplot to that series.
1: Don't mess with Gorn. He, he lost multiple teeth in multiple games. Like it, it, uh, he's like a hockey player. Uh, yeah, and then I also remember their weird center rotation of uh, Gortat, Robin Lopez, and Lou Amundsen <laughs> and Lou somehow Amundsen. worked. <laughs> that was the year that everybody was like finding out that Lou Amundsen like, biked to work and stuff. It, it's just such <laughs> a weird like mash of guys. Gortat with his big old hammer tattoo. And Robin Lopez being like Robin Lopez being, you know, who he is. That was like mm-hmm. probably his best year as a pro, which was he was really young though. But it was so weird that it worked because Steve Nash made any center look good. Right. Oh, he made like he, he made Tim Thomas a bunch of money just by playing with him. Uh, also shout out to Jared Dudley and Gran Hill being again the perfect three and D role players. Mm-hmm. Grant Hill become, he he become the prototypical dude like Shane Battier, and Jared Dudley had like his best shooting year, like the pick and pops they'd run the beat to perfection. Like Channing Fry, he was also there running those pick and pops. It was like that, that team was so fun to watch. They may not have they I think they were like middling defensively, but the fact that they almost made a finals that year was it was awesome. It, I would have loved to see them, but you know. On our test had other ideas
0: yeah Kobe's air ball and uh meta world peace uh putting the ball up and in uh, on on the rebound uh at the buzzer i believe it was was it Richardson who banked in a three prior to that, uh, that yeah, that were... I always
1: forget about that,
0: yeah so. Yeah, that, that even as a Laker uh, at the time, you know, my, probably my last season of, of being like a hardcore fan of, of a certain team, that that was just a really fun series to watch. And then and then you have Kobe making these dagger shots over with Grant Hill draped on him and and Dudley draped on him. And I remember he like pats Alvin Gentry on the backside after making one of them in Game Six. Uh, that was just a really fun series. Um, and and as any team with Steve Nash when he was a member of the Phoenix Suns, just just really exceptional offensively and you know that was probably their best chance uh of all the years i mean you could even go back to to the the old uh hip check season maybe if you mm-hmm. that if that's litigated differently that might end up being their best uh chance to get to the finals but uh, as far as like being a couple wins away this was technically nash's best chance and and They did fall short, to not not like I'm crying over it because uh, it did get Kobe his fifth ring or help him get to his fifth ring. But uh, that would have been a fun series too, especially the clash in styles uh, of playing against Boston, which was still playing like a rigid, very like Thibs-influenced defensive style with Perkins at at center. Um, That would have been an interesting series.
1: It's always forgotten that Amari was like not playing during that time too. Like he was hurt a lot. That during that uh, year, I remember. Mm. And shout out oh. to Earl Clark as well. And Taylor Griffin was on that team for a bit.
0: Earl Clark, Earl Clark, uh, I believe he was a Laker at some point after that. but
1: well, there yes. was a, there,
0: there was a period there where where the Lakers, you know, their their bench, you know, Mitch Kupchak is doing an okay job with Charlotte right now, but there was there was some there was a lot of Bob Sacre going on. Uh, with, with the Lakers in the, in, the, in the last years of Kobe's career. Anyway, um, so I, I'm on board with the Suns. Another team that I'll mention uh, without going into too much detail uh, because Marco covered the Suns well. Uh, the 2016-17 Spurs team, uh, which is uh, the year that Kawhi uh, gets uh, mauled by Zaza Pachulia, um, and Zaza becomes uh, public enemy number one in San Antonio uh, because Kawhi might possibly still be a spur right now if that doesn't happen. That team was incredible, um won 61 games um and and was probably I always forget that. Uh, probably might have gotten you know the, the the way that game started, uh the way that series started against Golden State, uh Kawhi was playing incredibly. Like I, I want to look it up because I I think he had like I want to say 30 points like in, in the first game and then the injury happens and and then they get swept because there's just not another guy that on the on the roster that could do what Kawhi was doing but uh that that was an incredibly fun team um that i believe that was the same year that manu gets the block on james harden in the second round uh when when harden was shooting a three at the uh, at the end of a game that's a classic manu moment uh that was just a really fun team um and had a chance at a championship possibly uh, interrupting the warriors run of dominance there uh, but Kawhi gets hurt, and uh, you know that changes the landscape of the NBA pretty significantly for the next uh, few years with the Raptors uh, getting a championship out of it. So uh, I'll go with the 2016-17 Spurs as my uh, favorite non-championship team. That was a really fun team to watch. Uh, but now let's transition into this year um, and talk about who are we watching right now so you guys have a sense of what our flavor is for this season. Uh, Marco, who are the teams you've been keeping an eye on on League pass? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh,
1: weirdly enough if they if I didn't live in their market, uh these would be like the Spurs would be my first league pass team. Mm. but I live in the market, but I still watch them a lot, which is weird because that means I'm wasting money on League pass <laughs> uh, but yeah, i there's something about this weird Spurs collection of young dudes and Old dudes that I seem to—I'm a fan of. I'm like, dude, I'm watching the team being run out there with like Patty Mills not missing a shot, looking like Klay Thompson coming off of <laughs> pin downs, like, and then I'm watching these young dudes like Dejounte Murray like last night, uh, watching them against the, the Celtics,
0: right? Uh, Close out the game.
1: Calvin Johnson is so strong. Yeah, he's like built like a like a fucking catcher in baseball. Like I feel like if you try to move him he wouldn't like tip over. Like he'd just stand there like like uh, I think it reminds me of a one of those uh I don't know if you ever played Mario Brothers. Uh he's like a sumo bro. He's like <laughs> he bounces his feet down on the floor and like uh, 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 and then like he likes I don't know, he just plants himself. It's so fun to watch.
0: Yeah, the, the Spurs team. Uh, you know, I kind of compare it to to what's happening in Oklahoma City. All of the Spurs are, you know, their veterans are a little more involved than the Thunder's veterans are, uh, with DeRozan and Aldridge, and like you say, Patty Mills, Rudy Gay. Those guys are a little more involved than like the Thunder are with Horford and George Hill. But it's just kind of a just letting the young guys have the opportunity to grow. Pop is is not lenient per se, cause he is stringent on the team as far as making sure they're not turning the ball over that kind of thing. But he's been very democratic as far as letting everybody, all these young guys get an opportunity to grow. You, like You mentioned Deontay, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, still a player they're trying to figure out. Derek White's been injured most of the year, but when he gets back, he'll be another uh, player who's, at times, been the most, but had the most potential of this group of young players, as far as a scorer goes, at least. Uh, they had that great playoff series against Denver a couple years ago. So they're just kind of letting these young guys figure out their games. Jakob Pertle, I guess you can group in with that young group, who was the lesser known part of the Kawhi trade. Uh, but my opinion, he's been better than DeRozan for the, the length of his time in San Antonio, as far as its impact on winning. Just a really nice defensive piece. Um, and, and the Spurs, they just kinda they're letting those guys grow within the context of trying to win games and seeing Pop still motivated to play that chess match within games and find the right lineups while still getting those opportunities for those young guys to get minutes and get shots and figure out what they can do, what they can't do. Um, it's really fun, uh, and I, like you, like you mentioned, it's it's uh, a weird group, uh, but it's a fun group. And I agree with you that that's definitely a team. If you're looking for somebody on League Pass, the Spurs uh, are not playing uh, any boring basketball uh, as their reputation might precede them. Uh, this is kind of a, an energetic young team. They're playing fast. They're not turning it over, so they're getting a lot of of, of good mileage on their young players.
1: Yeah, uh there's also I have a bunch of other ones on there uh, okay. that I can add. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh I want to give a shout out to the uh fucking Hornets man. They're awesome. Yeah. I love I love watching. It's mostly purely based on the mellow ball though. Mhm. Like I could watch the mellow ball play basketball for like an hour and like just dribble it. No, like longer than an hour I guess. But Just like watching him like I you keep an eye on him and he does these little things that... You just don't notice from other dudes. Like, he already knows how to throw an inchy pass, which is, like, so hard to do when you're his age. Dudes that have been in the league for, like, tw- 12 years don't know how to throw inchy passes like that. Mm-hmm. Like It's insane how he, like, knows where everybody is at any amount of, like, any time. He knows where you're going to be. You just watch them, and you're like, wow, he's, he's, he should be starting, and I don't know why he's not. But anytime he's out there, he's, like, must watch. And especially when he's out there with Miles Bridges, you're mm-hmm. going to get a highlight. They're, like, the perfect duo to have together. The only downside is you have to watch Bismack Bionbo try to catch his passes. <laughs> and it's so hard to watch. Like, he might have 50 assists, like, like himself, like, missed out on because of Bismack's <laughs> hands. It's just hard to watch. Ugh. Uh, other teams, uh, shout-out to the the Sacramento Kings, they have, they're fun to watch because they don't play defense. Yeah. And because they have like Tyrese Halliburton, who's one of my favorite rookies, more rookie love here. Uh, He's like, he's probably is my favorite rookie of this class so far. And he he's like a old 3 and D guy that's established himself already in the league. Mm. But he's only a rookie, which is right. insane to me. He's like, Old, so at the Grand Hill again. He's like old Grand Hill already.
0: Let me throw this like, one on in me. the leak. Is he, is he like evolutionary Garrett Temple?
1: Oh wow, that's a name right there.
0: <laughs> I don't know, King, Garrett Temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just you mentioned that he's kind of like playing three and D style, and I I kind of like I see a little bit of Garrett Temple in there. Obviously, Halliburton has a lot more potential, but he he brings a
1: calmness the same way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like he's like uh. It's just weird because he's a rookie. He sh- but, of course, right. I wrote about this. Like, it makes sense that a rookie is the one guy that calms him down when he's mm-hmm. out there. And they're also bad at D, so you're going to get big high-scoring games. So right. it's good either way. Uh, also, uh, I think I had one last year. Uh, the Golden State Warriors. I know they're on national TV a lot, but just for Steph's sake, you know, you get to watch him try to put up 50 just for them to win maybe by two points.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can, uh, you know, th- the thing about this season is, like, almost every team is watchable uh, in a certain sense. There- there's some reason to grasp on to most teams. Charlotte I like as well. Um, James Borrego, I think he's trying some interesting things. Uh both sides of the ball. He's talked a lot about not running like sets offensively, just kind of letting guys flow from different – without having the best defensive talent, which is pretty interesting. Um, The Kings are also – I never thought I'd
1: miss a center like Cody Zeller when I watched them though, because I'm like, they need a capable guy that can just catch lobs.
0: Right, yeah. Cody Zeller just came back and, I mean, it was kind of obvious as soon as he came in for – not to pile on Bismack, but he came in for – couple minutes to spell Bismack and just that added ability to catch the ball also make plays uh, is just a nice asset for them to have excuse me Um, Sacramento I like as well Uh, you know De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton are are very interesting backcourt a lot of people believe Halliburton's emergence means Fox is on the market or or they should move on from or something like that I don't agree with that I think it's pretty fun to keep them together um, Buddy Heald might be the odd man out in that situation. Although, in this era, I mean, you could have—it's not really that hard to have uh, three guards if, if you're not going to play any defense. It's, it's not like you're keeping the ball out of anybody else's hands uh, when 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 Luke Walton is is okay putting lineups out there that can seed 140 points a game. Uh, that's fine, uh, and we had saw. I don't know if he has any other choice, really. Uh, the Marvin Bagley situation is also interesting. Uh, you know, his career is always going to have question marks around it. Unfortunately, I think it's kind of unfair to a young player like that to to always have the the Luca thing hanging over him. But uh, you know, kind of still want a little bit more from just independent of any comparisons to who was picked after him. Still looking for him to turn a corner. On his career, so he's always fun to watch uh, To see what kind of elements he's trying to bring to the game uh, So Sacramento's fun, like you mentioned um, Another team I really like, Chicago I think they're fun to watch uh, Zach Levine's having a really good year I don't think a lot of people are, are talking about how, how solid he's been He's improved his defense from you know shocking levels To kind of passable in some aspects uh, And his scoring has just been incredible um, he's been really efficient and a little bit better as a playmaker. So just kind of getting Billy Donovan coming in, getting a little of those quirks in his game that were really dragging him down, uh, to be at least at closer to average, which is all you need when you can score like he can. Kobe White's fun. Uh, Wendell Carter just picked up an injury. Uh, he'll probably miss just getting home. a
1: coach who's competent.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Jim Boylan uh, leadership uh, committee era is over in Chicago, and uh, punching and, of crocs. Yeah, uh, Billy Donovan, who you know helped Chris Paul take that weird uh, young Thunder team to to the postseason and almost beat the Rockets, uh, so he's definitely uh, kind of shown that he's got some solid chops after the uh, kind of weird into his uh, tenure as the uh, at least at the end of the Westbrook. Uh, Dre air that he presided over the end of. Uh, people might not have had the best uh, feelings about his ability to coach, but he's definitely shown that he's solid. Uh, and I like the job he's doing in Chicago. Another team I like watching, other people might not. I like watching Atlanta. Uh, they haven't been as good as they probably hope to be. They've had some injuries to the veterans they signed, Galinari and Bogdanovich. Haven't been able to play as much as they probably uh, they need them to to bolster the second unit, but uh, I just like watching Trey Young. Uh, not everybody; he's kind of an acquired taste, I guess, because I guess people see his game as being a little bit too much of a Steph clone. The, the jumpers that he takes, uh, without being as efficient uh, from deep, uh, people can kind of see that as, as hogging the ball because he doesn't really bring that same altruistic attitude to the floor. That it's Steph more of does. the foul jarring. Yeah, he's a, he's a, well. The thing is, you know, he's a grifter, his, right? His his game he's a, has he's a grift god. His game benefits greatly from this new added element that he's gotten, been able to master foul drawing. But that kind of makes him a tougher watch at the same time. So it's kind of a give and take there. He's definitely selling out a little bit more for fouls. He's got the Chris Paul lean his back into you move down when he's driving into the lane. Uh, It's not the best, uh, you know, he kind of, Steve Nash got on him there and then he had kind of an odd stretch where he wasn't getting any foul calls after Nash called him out. So definitely, uh, you know, not, not the best part of his game, but I think he's, he's a really exceptional passer. You know, he gets a lot of flack for being a ball dominant player and there are so many possessions with Atlanta where it's just him dribbling. Um, but but I think he's a really good playmaker. And if they could just kind of correct that a little bit where it's a little bit more ball movement. DeAndre Hunter's playing fantastic this season. He's made a lot of development. It's he's kind of gotten to the point where he was a three and D prospect kind of. That was the idea when they drafted him. He might have a little bit more to his game than that. Uh, and then Cam Reddish is also getting a little bit better, and you know they're on the right developmental track. This is year two; they have plenty of time to get better, uh, but but they're fun to watch uh, as far as uh, getting them more opportunities to show what they can do. So I really like watching Atlanta, um, and and you know the Trey Young experience might not be for everyone, but I still love the guy. I think he's really fun. Uh, so yeah, those are the teams we're keeping an eye on. And Marco, we have uh, we've gone on quite a bit, so we might have to. Uh, Give the folks our surprises on a different day Because we have uh, given a pretty uh, lengthy intro which, uh, which should be fine uh, So we'll close out with uh, with one more question And then an award that, uh, that Marco is going to introduce But uh, Marco, perhaps the most important question of the podcast What is your go-to breakfast taco?
1: This is a layered question, much like a layered burrito, <laughs> which I'm not a fan of, actually. Uh, well, recently, uh, I've been going through a health issue. and I'm finally starting breakfast tacos again, though. And I've, it's always been my number one is, ha- well, actually, it's different now. Because it used to be ham, egg, cheese, and, and a, a flour tortilla. Okay. And it's recently changed into uh corn tortilla, which okay. uh, I have to only simply eat now. Not just for my sake or my stomach's sake, but for the sake of my ancestors <laughs> who have always been about the, the corn. Flour <laughs> is more of a LA thing as I, I feel. And with eggs, uh vegan cheese, got to watch the lactose. And uh this is a weird one, but Instead of ham, it's uh sliced turkey breast. Mm. So yeah, we're going getting away from the pork because I uh, I can't have pork, so I'm going with the lean turkey meats now. Okay, and it okay. it tastes just the same. I'm not gonna lie, it okay. tastes just the same, and it's just as good. I'm not a uh, big salsa dude, and I don't like salsa on my breakfast tacos. I do like to put lime on my regular tacos, but I'm more of a just straight uh just cheese that's it i used to be a queso dude but i'm no longer there i i can't and that's too much too much dairy in the morning uh okay. so yeah i stick to the vegan cheese
0: Late, probably it was- about two of them this is the kind of information that you're going to come to expect from the mark and marco podcast breakfast taco orders and league pass rankings That's RMO, and Marco is going to send us off here where he's going to award uh, Nikola Jokic with something special. Marco, what is this segment called? Well, 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 uh,
1: congrats. Shout out to the Joker. He became the Joker, much like uh, Peace Ledger and Walking Phoenix before him. (laughs) He's getting... (laughs) Uh, so shout out to the joker he's getting the first ever inaugural award, uh, which I'm very glad to give him. It's El Chido. which if you're not uh, Mexican and you're listening to this, just pretty much means, you know, you're the boss. You're like, you were the thing, the flavor of the week. Mm-hmm. You, were, you were like the coolest thing going. And he, we're giving it to Nikola Jokic because he's pretty much had an, an insane week. He's had an insane year so far. Right. So, and he's like putting up in, he put up 20, and, and five yesterday. I think there's, it was around there. That's pretty much a easy Nikola Jokic stat line right. against the Heat last night. That was so easy. I, I didn't even notice. I right. was like, what? He did that? But the yeah, way, way he never break a sweat. You no, know, which is weird because you'd yeah. think you would. You'd <laughs> notice how much he'd break a sweat. So he, uh, <laughs> He did it so easily because he was operating at the top of the zone which Miami was forced to run so much mm-hmm. that he like he was like dissecting the zone so he's like a he's like the perfect dude to have in his zone because you would just put him at the top of the free throw line get the ball to him because he's so tall he can just get the ball so easily he he's at your you're at the mercy of his decisions which right. he's so good at making so he's going to he's going to get an easy shot either way the only thing that would saved Miami was that Denver wasn't hitting their shots. So, But as soon as they were going down, it was done with. But yeah, shout out to Nico Jokic, who had an amazing week. He also, I think, won the NBA's award for player of the week, but nobody cares about that. It's all about El Maschido, <laughs> which he is. Exactly. The real awards. Which right. We love you, Nikola. Keep doing your weird playing of weird post-ups and... Touch passes to dudes in the dunker spot
0: There you have it Folks, uh, also as you might have Noticed there, he was describing that Denver-Miami game Keep uh, Marco in your thoughts, he is going through A lot of Gabe Vincent right now uh, the, A lot the of here, Max and, Bruce A lot of Max Bruce in Miami It's not the greatest time That's
1: a real player, I didn't just
0: Yeah, there. that's not a fake name um at least i hope it isn't uh okay uh thanks everybody for listening to the mark and marco podcast our uh, first ever episode here hopefully you have an idea of where our basketball tastes are and our taco tastes uh and uh we will catch you next time and we'll go over our biggest surprises of the young nba season uh i'm mark i'm marco and thanks for listening